there's a reasonable chance that after I record this episode of A Bigger Story, I'm going to want to delete it. I'm concerned that it might not be my most stellar moment ever. And why am I feeling that way? Well, typically, as I prepare for each episode of A Bigger Story, I've got a stack of stuff, usually books, theology books, church history books, biblical commentaries, all that kind of stuff. They're the tools of my trade, and I love being immersed in them and mining them for new and imaginative possibilities and mining them also for the imaginative possibilities that others realized centuries ago, eons ago. It's a great life to study all that stuff and get to share some of those discoveries with you. But I didn't do that for this episode. Instead, my research is like three decades of being involved in religion, church, Christianity. And why am I nervous about relying on three decades of experience? Because I'm just going to kind of riff it out there. And I'm always worried that something I might say will be experienced as unkind. The more controlled I am, sometimes I get feedback, oh, I wish you would cut loose. And then when I cut loose, oh, you really cut loose. That may have been a little too far. But I'm going to take that risk with this one. There's this piece of wisdom that is reputed to have come from the Dakota tribe. And it goes like this. When the horse is dead, dismount. So with that said, loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce. This is a bigger story. When the horse is dead, dismount. Sounds like a blinding flash of the obvious, right? Uh, This is episode 29 of A Bigger Story. It's Stop It, part two. Stop It, part one was pretty easy. It's not hard to point to Christian nationalists and extreme conservative evangelical Christians. Notice I said extreme ones. And the way that they judge and exclude people won't permit women into their church pulpits. Certainly are not welcoming to LGBTQIA plus people the ones who typically invoke God's wrath and direct that wrath towards others in a way that just displays fundamental misreadings, misunderstandings, and misapplications of Christianity's sacred writings, i.e. the Bible. Their theology is just malformed. So this is Stop It Part 2. And this episode is a little more difficult, a little trickier. There are other strands of Christianity other than the extreme right-wing versions. There's what traditionally has been called mainline Protestant Christianity. And that would include groups like Episcopalians, Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, some others. And those groups have what I'd call pretty solid ways of understanding and talking about God and Jesus the life of a Christian. They each have their main points of emphasis that vary among them, Uh, but most of these groups uh, ordain women to serve as pastors. Most of the ones I just mentioned also ordain LGBTQIA plus candidates for ministry. And I focus on the fact that they ordain LGBTQIA plus people for ministry 
because you can't say that you are welcoming and accepting of LGBTQ community people. But what, when what you really mean is, is that you tolerate their presence, but they're not invited to lead at the most fundamental foundational levels of the community, like being the pastor or being the bishop. And I want to go back to this one thought that these mainline Christian expressions have really solid ways of understanding and talking about God, Jesus, the life of a Christian. But therein lies one of the problems. St. Francis of Assisi is reputed to have once said, preach the gospel at all times, only when necessary use words. And it's the movement from talking about to action that seems to be a problem. And most of these mainline Protestant denominations are hemorrhaging members. And they were doing so well before COVID. And they still are. And I'm not trying to get anyone to go to church. This whole A Bigger Story podcast and project is not meant to be a bait and switch. But I've been honest before. I do worry that as a society, we need communities of meaning-making where we develop shared values, find common cause with one another, communities where we gather with others and find pathways and encouragement to become more gracious, more empathetic, more compassionate, to become people who more and more care about the well-being of our fellow humans, that more and more we seek the thriving and flourishing of all of our neighbors. And so I haven't given up on the idea that religion, religious communities, communities of people like us who gather around some body of shared stories, and that these shared stories and shared values and ethics are still needed as parts of our social fabric. But if you're even slightly open to that kind of possibility, I know you're not going to be part of a community where you have to check your brain at the door. When we read the sacred writings of the Hebrew scripture or the Christian New Testament, the gospels and the epistles and the book of Revelation, that we need to understand that the original cultural contexts in which those stories emerged and whether they were meant to be stories or poems or lists of codes, laws, rules, or precise histories, that there are different genres of literature contained within the sacred writings. And for the most part, you don't have to check your brain at the door in most mainline Protestant churches or a well-led Roman Catholic parish, just as examples. And there are certainly other brands of Christianity where your brain is also welcome too. But this notion that we still need communities to gather around fires, around shared stories, am I tilting at windmills? Am I fighting a lost cause? Because people are checking out in droves. And as I said, it was going on before COVID, and COVID may have accelerated the rate at which people have checked permanently out of church communities. 
Researchers are now saying that traditional mainline Protestant church denominations are about a generation away from extinction. And it's not about what hymns are being sung or how worship happens or what hymns are not being sung or even how gifted or not gifted the preachers of the sermons are. When I think of all the reasons and possible remedies for why more and more people are becoming nothing in particulars and checking out of church communities, all the reasons, I get overwhelmed. There are issues of leadership, who leads, how, from what sources of experience and wisdom, what we even think constitutes effective leadership in the context of a spiritual community. And so often we'll take a young person and send that young person to three or four years of seminary, including an internship. But that person has never had to be the lead leader of anything before. We throw young seminary graduates to the wolves. (laughs) That's kind of mean, isn't it? To call the congregations that we send these seminary graduates to, to call those congregations wolves. But, you know, You get a bunch of humans together in some kind of organization, whether it's a condo association, a corporation, or a church, and people can be pretty brutal. It's just a sad fact. So we send these young people into those situations, and then we just kind of turn our backs, wash our hands, and they sink or swim. Many more sink, I think, than swim these days. But I don't think that's even the fundamental reason why churches are declining and people are leaving. I think it's focus. It's the why question. Look up a guy named Simon Sinek. Simon and then S-I-N-E-K. He's given some TED Talks. He's written some books. All about the importance of the question, why? Why are we together? Why do we exist as a community? What is it that we're about? What are we trying to achieve? And these mainline Christian denominations need to figure out why they exist. And I think they think they've done that work. And if the answer is to preserve their denominational distinctives, it's not going to work anymore. The growing nothing in particular people don't care about preserving Lutheranness or Presbyterianness or worship life centered in one and only book of common prayer, one and only one, or being somehow culturally and proudly Anglican or preserving a specific way of being Methodist. Each of them have their internal arguments about who has the power, who's supposed to have the power, who should have the power. How is the power supposed to be exercised? I hear it a lot. Oh, we can't make that change. My bishop won't let me. Or that's not Methodist. That's not the Methodist way. That's not Lutheran enough. That's not Episcopalian enough. The great rabbi and civil rights activist Abraham Heschel, now of blessed memory, once said, no religion, magnificent as it is, can survive without repair from time to time. And maybe that repair could come if leaders become more concerned about living our faith outside our buildings. Outside is where we find the poor, the disenfranchised, the victims of societal injustice outside where we're called to take risks to be radically different, radical enough that they make a real difference, a difference that the world notices. 
I'm afraid, though, that the horse is dead and it's time to dismount. Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest and friar at the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico, prolific speaker and author, and in his book, Breathing Underwater, he wrote this really kind of scathing two paragraphs. Christians are usually sincere and well-intentioned people until you get to any real issues of ego, control, power, money, pleasure, and security. Then they tend to be pretty much like everybody else. He continues, We often gave them a bogus version of the gospel, some fast food religion, without any deep transformation of the self. And the result has been the spiritual disaster of quote-unquote Christian countries that tend to be as consumer-oriented, proud, warlike, racist, class-conscious, and addictive as everybody else, and often more so, I'm afraid. That from Richard Rohr. The condition of most mainline denominations is so critical, so dire, that the solution is not going to come from within the rigid, stale leadership centers of these denominations, if from within them at all. What is the absolute best thing that a Presbyterian or Lutheran or Catholic or Episcopalian or Methodist or Baptist way of understanding God and the way God works, what's the absolute best distinctive thing from each of those traditions? What are the best things that those different ways of being Christian offer to the world? That would be a good question to answer. And what if there was a growing community of people who cared less about maintaining the rigid lines of denominational heritages and more about being unmistakably obsessed with being Christ in the world? And I'm pretty sure that being Christ in the world is in the Bible multiple times, that that's the role of the quote-unquote church. What if there was a growing community of people who were intentionally ecumenical? Ecumenical means different churches, different church traditions, all working with one another. Intentionally ecumenical and intentionally welcoming of a variety of ways of being church that can vary from context to context to context, that can address the different needs, the different cultures, the different ethos and the different pathos of each one of those contexts. What if it was one holy ecumenical universal church? I think that's in one of the basic creeds that most mainline denominations ascribe to. I have this little devotional book from Mother Teresa that I read a lot. One of my favorite quotes from that little book is this one, when she says, the problem with the world is we forget that we belong to one another. So if it's true that many of these mainline denominations are a generation away from extinction, is it maybe time to consider a whole different way, a whole different vehicle? There has to be a new way. We have to find it. God has blessed humanity with sufficient imagination to figure this out. And in the meantime, denominations, whatever it is that's taking your eye off the ball, try to stop it. Whatever internal arguments and fights are distracting you, stop it. Whatever is happening that is causing an ever-growing percentage of society to be indifferent to you, stop it. 
whatever ways that you are distinct, odd, peculiar, different, set apart, make sure that those things are actual gifts to the world, that whatever you're doing is resulting in concrete good news for the poor, the hungry, the unhoused, the abused, the lonely, those trapped by the injustice of others, because those are the ones who most need a bigger story. A bigger story that leads to real transformation, real transfiguration of their lives, of our world. We all need that kind of transformation and transfiguration, and we all need that kind of bigger story. And whatever gets in the way of that, we should really try to find ways to stop it. Stay in touch, Bruce at BruceCole.tv. Remember you are loved.